Oh, but after after Maleficent and Zombieland, my tolerance for bad is kind of. Uh... Critics love Zombieland. <laughs> I fucking You're hate it. You're on your own island on that one. I am not alone in that. You're pretty close. <laughs> it's like four or five of you. <laughs> Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl, and with me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. I go by the nickname Hollywood now. Hollywood Sean Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sACriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. There you can watch the trailers, read Sean's reviews, watch Sean hanging out in Hollywood, whatever you want to do. It's all there. Uh... And then we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, et cetera, et cetera. Subscribe to the show, rate and review the show, or read your reviews on the air. And then Patreon, I hate critics. Then at slash Patreon, best way to help support the podcast. There's also a PayPal link and a podcast merch tab if you're interested. Uh, before we get going too far into the Hollywood story, uh, this is going to be a... If this is your first episode, this is not a normal Everyone's a Critic podcast right. episode. Uh, Sean was out of town all week, so we didn't really get to any new movies. There weren't really any new movies to talk about. And then I did a Kevin Smith thing, uh, event that he had. So it's going to be kind of, it's a different episode. So either way, whether you like it or hate it, give the next one another shot because this isn't a typical format, especially if you, and then 400 was a different format too, the one right before this. (laughs) We will be back on track next week. Uh, before we get going too far, a long-time listener, uh, Jason Mollett, uh, he once, like two, three years ago, sent the three of us a bunch of VHS tapes and uh, VCR telling us we should do a bonus episode with all these movies. And they've just sat in my cupboard for since he gave them to us because I'm lazy uh-huh. and I didn't even try. And Jason's a known troll. I mean, he's been on ESPN for trolling players. uh, uh he famously, when the Cubs were in the World Series, one of the pitchers from the Indians, Indians uh, cut his hand on his drone and couldn't pitch as well. So he was just starting to heal going into the World Series, and Jason actually mailed him a drone, and ESPN picked it up and uh, ran it as a story. Well, all those VHS tapes he sent us were blank, and he's been waiting for three years for this, <laughs> for this trolling to pay off. <laughs> And it never happened. Finally today, or maybe it was yesterday, he sends me a message going, fine, since you're not going to watch them, they're all blank. I just put labels on them. I was trying to troll you guys. Troll fail. So, so, so we won. And then he goes, but I bet you can still get Josh. Give him Josh. So even though I told Josh about it, he never responded, and we've kind of moved on, so maybe I'll try it. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. He sent them again, Josh. This time they're real. This time, <laughs> Which does explain some of the titles. I'm pretty sure one of them was a porno. But we never tried, so so we win. Uh, critics won, trolls zero. <laughs> Uh, but you know, if he wanted to troll us, he should have he should have like paid for it to be a Patreon episode that we had to watch these movies, and then all like, oh shit, we can't watch. There's nothing on these tapes. Yeah, and we're I mean we're not 
trolls all the time, but I do remember an early, early, early episode that we did back, like a, the first Christmas episode, we just basically played the audio from the Star Wars Christmas. <laughs> it's totally illegal, but uh, Disney, I don't think, owned them at the time, so. Uh, but anyway, two episodes ago, last week, we talked about Sean going to Hollywood. Netflix brought him out to see the Irishman. All expenses more or less paid. Uh, we do want to thank all the contributors that did help Sean through the week. It did, yeah, it really did help. Uh, so thank you for participating in the GoFundMe campaign. But he got to go and see the Irishman and hang out with all sorts of celebrities. So tell us about it. This was uh, this was pretty incredible. Yeah, on October seventeenth, uh, I got an email from Netflix inviting me to this. <laughs> That's like a week later. Uh, so a week later, I'm on a plane uh, flying to Los Angeles. Uh, I've been I've been on a plane in 20 years, so that was a weird experience. Uh, land in Los Angeles at 2:30 in the afternoon, and the and again at, at this whole at this at certain point, somebody told me that that uh, I, I at first I thought it was just going to be a typical like a critic screening in a screening room with just a few BFCA people. Fine, cool. All right, that's 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 fine with me because you're flying me in anyway. I don't care how I see the movie. Cool. Then I look at the itinerary and it says the Chinese theater is like, but it said the TCL Chinese theater. And I'm not up on things out there, so I, I always thought of it as a man's Chinese theater. So I'm telling people about this, and I, and I actually told a couple of people, man, while I'm there, I, I hope I get to see man's Chinese theater. <laughs> and then I find out when I get there that. TCL Chinese Theater is the same thing. That's the man's Chinese Theater. <laughs> I was like, wow, the one with all the footprints and the handprints. The legendary Hollywood spot. I'm like, that's so cool. But I still think at this point it's a critic screening. I'm still thinking, okay, but there's still this is just going to be critics and we're going to be there and we're just going to watch the movie and that's it. No, this is a full-on Hollywood premiere uh, with movie stars, with... <laughs> Uh, a, re- a black carpet instead of a red carpet, uh, and I, I'm just kind of like I could not believe where I was. So I got to walk on the black carpet. Uh, Edgar Ramirez uh, from Point Break and other things was right in front of me, <laughs> saying hello to fans. Uh, I walked up the black the black carpet. Uh, I took a few po- photos of the uh, of the crowd. Uh, somebody in the crowd, um, I, if you see my pictures, you know the shirt. I was wearing this like just regular shirt that I wear to work with a tie, shirt and tie. And this guy in the audience yells out, your shirt is so square. And I'm like, thank you? I don't know what to say to this. <laughs> my Uber driver finally told me later that this is actually a good thing, and I'm ahead of all the fashion trends, apparently. <laughs> I was ahead sometimes, or Western Illinois, whatever you want to <laughs> So I, we walk into the theater. I was with a fellow critic, uh, Terry Terry Lee from Detroit. Uh, if you listen to the radio in Detroit, you probably know her. Uh, she's incredible. And uh, we we uh, went into the theater, and I wasn't aware that the stars were going to be doing an introduction. I just assumed Netflix was doing the introduction. But no, in walks Martin Scorsese. <laughs> and Martin Scorsese is there to introduce the entire cast of The Irishman. <laughs> The whole cast, everybody. So you got Pacino, you got Pesci, you got Keitel, you got Ray Romano, De Niro, they're all there. So that's that's a, another wow moment. Uh, we'll get to the movie in a little bit, but 
Uh, so that goes on. It's a three and a half hour movie, The Irishman. That's it. Three and a half hours. So that's cool. Whatever. It started. They started an hour late because we were waiting for the stars to get there. And I got to call out a few of my colleagues. Guys, you can't bitch. We're not allowed to bitch. I don't care how late it started. I don't care about any of the other bullshit. We were we were flown there. Netflix paid for everything and put us in a room to watch this movie. And they brought all the stars and Scorsese's there introducing it. We don't get to bitch that it's starting 45 minutes late. Shut the fuck up. I, I love you guys. You're my colleagues. Uh, no, we don't get to complain about this. <laughs> So I watch the movie. I, I go back to my hotel just, just kind of just f- floating on air just because I cannot believe the experience I'm having. I, I For some reason, I was up most of the night because uh, I did a little bit of writing. I still haven't published the review yet, but uh, I, I watch part of like – I don't – why the hell did I watch this? Some, I watched some uh, – I spit on your grave three. <laughs> I don't there's know. Three of them. There's now three of them for some reason. Really horrible, but I'm watching that while I'm writing for some reason. I I fall asleep watching Dolomite because I still I still haven't finished that movie yet. Uh, <laughs> I wake up the next day. I got my free breakfast. Me and Terry from Detroit had breakfast together, and uh, then we went to the press conference. And <laughs> the press conference is amazing. Again, guys, we cannot bitch that it started late. We're doing it again. Guys are bitching that the thing is starting late. You know why it started late? Because they added Martin Scorsese. It was supposed to be just De Niro, but they added Scorsese. They added Pacino. (laughs) And these people are complaining. Not all of them. Just a minority. A great minority. That's the person that's going to stick out. Yeah. We can't complain about this. And people were also complaining we didn't get photographs. The reason we didn't get photographs, personalized, standing there next to them, photographs, which are awkward anyway and weird. But anyway, people really wanted those. Maybe I did too. I don't know. But the reason we didn't get them is because at the last minute they added Scorsese and Pacino. And this press conference was going to go long, and they have to be out of there. They're stars. They've got places to be, things to do. And it's already weird and awkward anyway to pose for photos with with random strangers. (laughs) So, but people are complaining about that. Fine, whatever. I didn't get to ask a question in the... the, uh, in the press conference, they were drawing numbers to see who got to, to uh, do that. I'm not complaining again, because during this press conference, Al Pacino tells a story that he says he's never told before. So I'm like, this works for me. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. And I'm 10 feet from the stage. I mean, like the second row of reporters, me. That's where I am. So I've got a direct eyeline to De Niro, Pacino, and Scorsese. We got the pictures on our social media to prove it. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> it was incredible. Uh, so that experience happens, and I'm just uh, I, I got I've got a red eye flight, so it's four thirty in the afternoon, and I've got a flight at eleven o'clock, so I've got nothing to do. And a critic, a fellow critic of mine, actually tells me that uh, you know it's rush hour. You don't want to grab an Uber now to try and go somewhere. You're going to be out there forever. So I'm like, oh gosh, okay. So what do I do? So I go to the bar, and before I, before I go into the bar, I'm sitting out in the lobby of the hotel, the Four Seasons, and Quentin Tarantino walks by, <laughs> and he goes into the bar, and I'm like, that is Quentin Tarantino. But okay, fine. He's in the bar. I see him. He goes off to the men's room. Whatever. I don't know where he is in the bar, where he's seated or anything. But I go into the bar, figuring 
maybe I can see him come back in and I'll get to see Quentin Tarantino again. Well, I happened to pick the absolute perfect spot in the bar because the table I chose was right in front of the table that Quentin Tarantino was sitting at. And so I watch him. He comes in. He sits down at the table right behind me after saying hi to a couple of critics. And he sits down. And I just I don't know what to do. I'm just so shocked. So I just he'd been talking to the other critics. So I say, "Hello, Mr. Tarantino. I'm sh- my name's Sean. I'm I'm also a critic." He goes, "Oh, hey, how's it going?" And that was it. That's the whole interaction. He was very polite, and I went back to my stuff because I don't like being right. that guy. Right. Uh, <laughs> now with me. Now I thought about doing this because I think this would have been the ultimate epic, like fan thing to do. Like this would have been the most amazing story to tell later. Netflix had given us all in our hotel rooms a bottle of Jameson, and it's forty-five percent alcohol. This stuff, which means you can't take it on a plane. Right. <laughs> you know, it has to be anything under thirty percent you can take on a plane. Over that, you can't take it on a plane. So, like, what am I going to do with this? So I got it into my bag, not knowing what I'm going to do with it. And I, for a second, I thought almost it would be the ultimate fan thing on behalf of all your fans, Mister Tarantino. Would you please take this bottle of Jameson? <laughs> I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But instead, I just sat there, and his—I I believe it was his agent who was with him—came uh, in and sat. She came in and sat down, and for ninety minutes, I just sat there, kind of overhearing the this ninety-minute conversation of Tarantino just talking passionately about movies of the seventies. So Sean knows what uh, Quentin's last movie is going to be. He knows everything <laughs> beginning to end. He's told me about it. It's no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I just, 90 minutes of just sitting there going, oh my God, Tarantino's talking about movies. Can I ask you a question? Did anybody else talk while he was talking? No. <laughs> His That'd agent just amazing. nodded, just nodded and agreed. And she did, just, it was a conversation, but, you know, he was definitely passionate and gesticulating. And well, he controls Tarantino. a lot of conversation. Yeah. Any interview you ever see him do, him, Scorsese does it too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty, that's insane. Yeah, well, I'm sitting. Like I'm about to go see Kevin Smith. I'm in the theater, and Sean's texting me this. He's, he goes, Tarantino just walked by. Then he takes, sends me a picture of him. Then it's like Antonio Banderas is here now. <laughs> I'm just sitting there going, I'm in a casino. <laughs> I think Jason Mewes is behind that curtain over there, <laughs> which was still cool as hell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, next to the front row, it's nice. But it was it was pretty it was cool to kind of live vicariously through you and I. Josh was part of the thread. It was yeah. a, a group text from way back when, and Josh was really. I mean, it, it was fun. Everybody I told about it. I mean, there's no jealousy. Everybody's just right. like insanely excited for you. They got to do it. It's just it's just a really cool thing. And and it wasn't completely over yet because I still had to get my Uber. And and while I'm out there, uh, Tarantino walked by, got in his car. It's yellow. Which is pretty cool. It's a brand new, like 2019. I don't know. It's it's beautiful. I don't know what kind of car it was. I'm not a car guy. But while I'm waiting for my Uber, who should happen to walk by me but Pedro Almodovar? (laughs) (laughs) So in one day, I I sat and listened to Scorsese. I sat and listened to Tarantino. And I just happened to see Pedro Almodovar. (laughs) It just doesn't, I mean, and he, and, and, and he leaves out the De Niro Pacino we're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> but just in terms of directors. Right, no, I mean, no, no, yeah. I know, I know. But yeah, I mean, that's a hell of a day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll... 
I'll be honest. I know I don't want to get in anything personal, but I know you've had health things. I was a little worried and anxiety stuff. So this part of me was like hoping everything went, you know, I was thinking about you the whole time. That is the weirdest part of it, dude. I was so calm. Like really? the whole weekend, the whole day, or th- well, the weekend, 36 hours. I was there. I was completely calm. I didn't get scared on the plane. I didn't have any anxiety about flying. I watched The Last Jedi. Uh, I watched Big Bang Theory. <laughs> I watched it yesterday. I spit on your grave three. <laughs> I spit on your grave three. But like the whole time, and I got to thank uh, Terry Lee, who, of course, is my colleague. Uh, both of us were attending one of these things for the very first time. Uh, and so. Yeah, as much as you're all grown-ups and, and we're all members of the same critical association, and, we, and I did meet other people and have good conversations, but there's clickishness. People who know each other and they're going to be in their, their group and their group stays together. She and I didn't have a group, so we made our own group. And she, I, whether she, she wasn't intending to or not, but I, I just made me perfectly calm and comfortable. And I've never been that calm and comfortable in a public setting, especially around crowds. And I didn't get I didn't get scared or nervous one time the entire couple of days. That's awesome. I, I just know that when I saw that you were there, I was like, okay, good, he got there. Because and I also know, I mean, I've done not stuff like to this extent, but I've had or this extent, but I've had things for free. I got to go to concerts and movies and shit. And you get to the there, and then you got to start calling around to tour managers and press people right. to. And I know it can be a headache. So there's. You know, I'm just kind of like, hopefully everything goes good. And I see you're in the hotel. I'm like, all right, cool. He's having a good. Then when he got home, I was like, good. He got home. Everything was perfect. <laughs> so it was exciting to. There was there was only one minor hitch, and Netflix fixed it like that. I I my uh, so they Netflix gave Netflix paid for everything. And in this moment, they took care of it really right away. But for a minute, it looked as if I'd paid sixty eight dollars out of my own bank account for an Uber ride. Oh jeez. <laughs> From the airport to the hotel, which. $68 is a lot of money to me. Oh, yeah. So I, I had a moment there, but I didn't even get scared about that. Like, I just talked to the I talked to the Netflix people, and they were like, no, we got it. You're all right. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's very cool. It makes you wonder what the, the – I don't – why this one? If, I mean, you know, it's cool that they picked the Irishmen, you know, if they'll do stuff like this in the future. Is it just because it's – Scorsese, and they're really. I think this. I think the main thing for them is this is the most expensive movie that they've ever been part of, and I think that uh, they're. I think there's a little bit of like trepidation about making sh- making people aware of it and making sure that people are looking out for it. We still got a solid month, don't we? Or oh, half yeah. a month? Is it going to like cities or something? Is that the issue? Or next weekend it'll be in major markets, but uh, I, you know, like our Midwest theaters have a strong policy against carrying anything Netflix. They won't do it. They won't put a Netflix movie in there unless Netflix can tell them for sure that uh, six months and we have uh, you know clearance for three months before it ends up on Netflix. They'll do the Fathom event thing. I wonder if they'll do it. They would have done that already. They'd be selling tickets if it was going to be five, five <laughs> events. Uh, but yeah, that's still that's still cool. Uh, what did you think? Without going into too much detail. <laughs> oh, is it time to talk about the movie? Unless you have something else you want to talk about. I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I'm not under an embargo. I thought I would be under an embargo, but uh, no. Uh, so the Irishman. Uh, it's about the death of Jimmy Hoffa. About the the legendary union boss whose whose disappearance is, remains a mystery, and this movie does 
set out to offer a theory as to why we've never discovered the body of Jimmy Hoffa, and it's a pretty good theory. But uh, I'll leave you to discover that. Uh, the story goes that uh, Frank Irish, not his real name, uh, he's, I, I forgot what his real last name is, but they call him Frank Irish because he's Irish. He's not Italian, but he's interacting with the Irish mob or with the Italian mob. Uh, he makes his name by kind of having a couple of big cuts of meat fall off the back of his truck and into the back of this Italian restaurant operated by uh, mobsters, uh, which impresses eventually Harvey Keitel is uh, one of the lead mobsters. Uh, and Joe Pesci, who's uh, one of the under guys, the guys behind the scenes, the guys who are behind the guy, but powerful, but they don't they don't stand out in front of everybody. And uh, that's he's a really interesting character. And Pesci's the best thing in this movie. He really is. He's he's acting the hell out of this. Not to knock anybody else, but uh, he just seems to be the one who really has the meatiest you know thing to work with here. Aside, so I know Pacino's got a broad you know thing to work with with Hoffa, but. Pesci's got the the quieter story here, and he and he really acts the hell out of it. And I just I just really enjoyed any time he was on screen. And it was not a typically like Joe Pesci performance. It's not like he's chatterbox anymore. He's not uh, you know, flying all over the place. His energy. He's playing an older man, and he's he's old and he's acting old. Uh, and but he's the the intelligence that that thing he's got going on behind his eyes is fascinating. And that's what makes the the performance. He seems so much smarter than everybody else. But the story really does center on on Frank, and he's going around, and he makes his name first with the meat, and then with, uh, well, then he becomes a house painter. And a house painter is a guy who kills people. He paints your he paints houses with your brains. Right. (laughs) uh, He he becomes a a hitman, taking out small timers initially, but then. Pesci's character gets him in with Jimmy Hoffa, uh, an opportunity for him to become his bodyguard, but also a spy. Because as much as the Italian mob has backed Hoffa to get to where he is, they're concerned about him and his uh, out-of-control ego and uh, his willingness to talk about things. He's uh, he's very open. And uh, Hoffa is a guy who believed he was he was a star. He, he saw himself as a almost a movie star type, uh, and Pacino plays that uh, big and broad and Pacino like. Uh, but Frank Irish is put in place so as his bodyguard, uh, who becomes his friend, and but also a guy who's kind of keeping an eye on him and uh, keeping an eye on business at the same time. And uh, eventually, you know, something's going to come down where Frank Irish is going to be involved in the death of Jimmy Hoffa. And that's where the story is headed over three and a half hours. Now, I'll say this. I, it, they, they should have had an a intermission for a theatrical experience like this because there's a difference between watching a movie on Netflix that you can stop and go and watch at your own pace. Three and a half hours in a movie theater is hard. Yeah. And that's why you know, when you go see Gone with the Wind in a movie theater now on a, on a you know, roadshow basis – there's an intermission, you know, twenty minutes in between for you to get up, move around, get Even a drink. We went to Hateful Eight. They had an intermission. Intermission, yeah, and that's what a, like a three-hour and nine-minute movie. Yeah. So, three hours and thirty minutes, they should have had an intermission. That that would make this movie play a lot better. But I think it'll play better on Netflix actually than it will in the theater because of that. For that specific reason, uh. Just the opportunity to shut it off and process and come back to it, it really does have the ability to play like a t- like a TV show as much as it does like a movie. 
which may hurt, hamper it with some critics, may hamper it at awards as well. But then being associated with Netflix may also hamper it with awards. There's a lot of guys out there who are opposed to the idea of what Netflix does. Um, I, I, I appreciate this movie a lot. I don't love it because, again, I think theatrically that length is a lot. But also there's, there is the aspect of the technology. The de-aging technology does look a lot like Henry Cavill's mustache. Uh, and the hardest part, though, I think what this movie is fighting with that is that we know what a young Robert De Niro looks like. Uh, whether it's 20-year-old Robert De Niro or 40-year-old Robert De Niro, we've seen him yeah, he's from never Mean stopped Streets. Making movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we've seen him from Godfather too, Mean Streets, all the way back then, even before that probably. Till now, we know what he looked like then, and they can't make him look like that. Right. They don't have that capability. Uh, also, he he's not he doesn't move around well anymore. So he's supposed to be. Uh, and they talked about this in the press conference. I thought it was interesting that that, that Scorsese was very open about. They were all very open about the fact that uh, having to tell Pacino, "Okay, you're 39 years old," <laughs> and Pacino's getting up from a chair going. Uh, and getting up like a 78-year-old would, you know, bones creaking in, the muscles not doing what you want them to do. And he goes, no, Al, you're 39 years old. <laughs> so he's got to muster up the energy to leap out of his chair. And that doesn't happen. And you can see uh, you can see De Niro, especially when he's walking, is the younger version of himself. He's walking with a stiffness and a, an old man's gait. And there's really nothing narratively to explain why that would be. Now, it's the minor thing, right. and I think I liked the fact that they just kind of, hey, <laughs> it well, is what it is. Similar to the last, temptation with Christ, of, the last Temptation of Christ, he didn't hide accents. You know, he just kind of, you know what, I'm just going to go for the performance, right. and you know, maybe the guy had a bad back, you know. <laughs> and so I, I can kind of appreciate, and even the technology, which I think that will help with Netflix, is that stuff on a big screen looks a lot shittier than it does. Even on your, you know, your nice flat screen TVs, it still looks better on the smaller screen than it does the big screen. I think so. I, I think so. that, that again, yeah, is another aspect that could play in their favor. Uh, it was funny listening to, to uh, Scorsese talk about the technology though. He's like, he did not give a shit about the technology at all. He's like, he just he hands that over to the tech, to, to the, to the CGI people and he goes, just do what you do. Stay out of my way. Just, just don't bother me. Just don't bother me. I'm making a movie here. You guys do what you do. They, he's like talking about the silver ball that they had to set up, and then the silver ball disappears, and it's a, a thing that's kind of deflecting the light or whatever. And he's like, I don't care about that. Just get, in, just, just, get out of my way. Get out of my shot. <laughs> it was great. He couldn't give a shit about that. <laughs> in, in a way, I mean, this, you know – the Marvel thing that he that he did clarify some of those comments slightly before you went out there, and he said, you know, he wasn't misquoted, but he used poor words. He meant certain types of cinema are dying right. off, and he's not wrong. Uh, in a way, though, he's trying to. I mean, that silver ball. <laughs> those Avenger movies are made behind a, in front of a green screen, and that's about it. And so, <laughs> it's kind of, part of me wishes he could make one of those just to. See what that would be like. <laughs> well, I mean, he produced the Joker. Well, but that wasn't <laughs> green screen. <laughs> uh, I, I I gotta say, I'm happy that no one in my group asked him about that when they were when we did the Q and A during the press conference. No one asked about the Marvel stuff, so that was good. That's good. Yeah. 
a lot of people did make their questions about them and not the people they're asking the questions of, but that's, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> that's what people do, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, it's I can't decide if I want to travel out of town and see it or... Because part of me is like three and a half hours. I'm more likely to watch it in the theater in one sitting. Because <laughs> that does that is the problem with Netflix. That's something to me that goes against it. Is you know, yeah, you can pause it and go get a drink, but you can also like with both of us in Dolomite, we both started it and haven't finished it. So there's that issue too. And yeah. I I don't really want to do it with the Scorsese move. I don't have to. <laughs> so I'm kind of torn on where I should go. But if there's no intermission either. And then you throw in the fact that they were an hour late, so now you've got four and a half hours, which again you're not complaining right. about, no, but that does that that's a long time to be sitting in the movie theater seat, even the nice ones. Yeah. It's a long time to be sitting in your own recliner. <laughs> you know? Right. So yeah, that was that's exciting. It's a fun time. So yeah, it's amazing. I I still haven't quite uh, caught up with myself yet. But overall a good movie? I think so. It, it's good it's good enough you know i like a three and a half hours is holding me back uh the technology a little bit but i, I like it, i like the way that, that they kind of dismiss it like guys just get over it and accept it <laughs> you, you have to understand that these are old men and we had to do it this way <laughs> yeah I, I there's an appreciation there for sure for me for them saying it like that yeah and he's always kind of been like that you know with certain things and i i like that uh, it, yeah, it gave me a new appreciation for this type of uh, press conference, allowing you know an op- giving a director this level of opportunity to explain why he does what he does. Is, you know, it was really interesting. And that type of cinema is dying. There aren't many act directors that, unless you're going to go out there and do it for free that can go out there and actually make the movie they want without being you know someone down their back the whole time. Which does make me wonder. At three and a half hours, if it was more of a studio film, do you think they tighten it up on them, or does I mean, it I need see, to be? I can see a couple of re- couple of places where they could take a scene, this like especially one of the early de aging scenes. You could remove it from the movie without really hurting anything. Because he's always been his movies have always been long, not always, but the great epic ones have always been long. But three and a half hours is like yeah. silence long. <laughs> <laughs> We saw how well that played. <laughs> Good movie. Once. <laughs> but I'm excited about it. I, mean, I can't wait for it to come out. So that's cool. Anything else before we go to my Iowa City experience? <laughs> uh, you know, give it a chance. And uh, yeah, just know that you can shut it off and go back to it anytime you want. Oh, I'm sure People are going to watch this movie. It's Martin Scorsese, De Niro, Pacino, and Pesci. It's going to do well. Uh, whether it's good or not, that's kind of where we're all going to have to decide. I think if, uh, my, my colleague, Terry, she uh, she said they should have released it in, in three parts. And that would have been better. In, the, in terms of how it played. Yeah, it played as a more of a television event as opposed to a movie event. Yeah, or two movies. <laughs> yeah. Either way. Uh, interesting though. All right, but yeah, when is that? Is it November twenty something? Yeah, I want to say like the twenty eighth or something like that. But I'm just pulling that number out of yeah. my ass. Late twenties, somewhere in the twenties of November after Thanksgiving. 
Oh, then yeah, it's the 20th and 29th. Because yeah. Thanksgiving is like the Thursday before the end of the month, so can't wait. Uh, but while you were there, I was in Iowa City, or not even Iowa City, Riverside, Iowa, or the home of Captain Kirk. <laughs> Which I didn't know that until Kevin Smith told me. And I'm not that far away. <laughs> uh, when Because we had tickets for this long before Sean was going to go to Hollywood, and he was all all about it all apologetic about having to bail on me and i was like it's not that hard to find someone to go with me he's like i'll i'll pay you back i promise <laughs> my wife was like i want to go oh easy <laughs> it worked out nice uh but it was in a casino on a really bad sound system and uh i don't know i don't know i can't really say i saw the movie you know really i enjoyed being in the environment but i definitely missed jokes so wow. So we'll have to get back to that at the end. I, I suppose we'll run th- or we just kind of run through the View Askew universe and get to Jane's Hot Bob Reboot, or you want to start with Reboot? I I don't know. I'm, how do you want to go? I'm, I'm, we hadn't really talked about it, so I guess uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel bummed about your experience. Well, no, no, it wasn't. It was uh, – I enjoyed it. Yeah? But it was just – the that, casino. I did see it. I saw right. it in a regular theater. And I wanted to see the Fathom event screening, but my wife kept throwing up roadblocks and made it impossible. And I didn't realize. <laughs> I mean, it's like I didn't realize it wasn't going to be like a real screen. I mean, the screens were kind of small. There was three of them, and it was fine. Uh-huh. It was just there was times where because you're you're with Kevin Smith fans, so they're screaming and chatting, and Kevin Smith's there watching it with you, which yeah. is very cool. Uh. But it's very bass heavy, so there was times where I, I'm sure I missed jokes because people were loud and the sound system wasn't great. But again, you're in this environment yeah. where even if the movie was terrible, I don't know if it's good or bad. <laughs> it was fun because of everybody there enjoyed it, and Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes were there. I did get like I missed a lot, like the Ben Affleck scene. I got the gist of it, but uh-huh. I missed certain lines because people cheered when he came right. on. And then it was Jason Mewes' daughter, so there was that, too. And it was just a lot that I missed. But uh, let's go ahead and start kind of from the beginning. You know, right. This is a Kevin Smith episode, more or less. Now. <laughs> uh, or at least that was the plan from the get-go. And then Hollywood <laughs> jumped in, so now it's half Kevin, half Martin. Uh, but let's uh, just start where it all began. Well, I guess what was the first Kevin Smith movie you saw? Did you start with Clerks, or did you? Yeah, it was Clerks. It was chasing Amy for me, and for the wrong reasons. It was because of the cover. I'm like, oh, this looks good, because it's <laughs> Joey Lauren Adams, you know, naked backwards, <laughs> Ben Affleck. Right. Uh, but then everybody had watched Mallrats, and I just was like, eh, I'm. I don't want stupid comedies. I'm. I like real movies. So, you know, I was 19, 20 years old. Right. So I dismissed. Mall rats. I went off to college. Really, I knew of Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, my timelines were all jacked up. I remember seeing them in Scream 3. I don't know if I'd seen the movie or not at that point. But he was out promoting Dogma, and he came to my college for free. Oh, wow. And I did not go because oh. I didn't know who he was. I knew wow. of Jay and Silent Bob. I didn't go. I remember the big thing. And it was back when he did the Evening with Kevin Smith DVD that came out. That was the tour he did it on. And I never went. And then eventually, I don't know, I think it was Dogma, which I didn't get. And then I just kind of went back. And eventually, Clerks, it just clicked. And from then on out, everything was, 
I just became a fan once it, as soon as everything clicked. But yeah, Clerks, I just. I was uh, I was the perfect age for Clerks because uh, uh, I'm a little bit older than you, and uh, I was doing my my film school training at the time because I don't I wasn't able to go to film school myself, so I uh, decided to create my own curriculum. I bought college books, you know, college course books, and I watched the movies that were on any list I could find of movies that would inform me about how to watch movies. And and it just so happens that this time, this is the point that Pulp Fiction and Miramax is rising, and I'm like, well, that's where I need to be then, is I need to be watching whatever that is. And that's where Clerks comes in, is around that time. And so I went looking specifically to find Clerks, because I had to see it based off of all of the things that went with it. And uh, I loved it immediately, just the, the first showing of it, just the first time I watched it. It was uh, incredible. <laughs> it was, I, I found somebody who spoke the same language as me, who you know, spoke to me in a way that even the greatest filmmakers on the planet didn't speak to me. Uh, he did on a very human level. Uh, it's filthy and it's silly, and but it, it, it felt so real. It felt like uh, it felt like my friends. Uh, these are the people that I hang out with every day. <laughs> right. I remember that cover, and similar to you, it's like I was trying to get into movies. It's just at that point, I was jumping into the seventies: Cuckoo's Nest, Godfather, Deer Hunter, Exorcist, all those movies. You know, Taxi Driver, all of them, and and then there was Pulp Fiction, like the main ones. And I knew, you know, there was the clerks and those, but I was also 15 or whatever when, so it, it was always in the back of my mind, but then, you know, train spotting all the, I don't, again, I'm, I'm getting my ears mixed up, but they were all out there and I just kind of moved on to, and you know, whatever else came out when I was getting older, I had to go backwards. So I didn't, I probably didn't see that till I was probably in college. So you're talking 98, 99, 2000. Oh, wow. Was that late? But I worked at Hardee's and all my friends worked there. So we kind of owned the place and instantly I related to this movie. And then to find out, you know, the backstory that goes along with it adds to the movie. The fact that he paid for it on his credit cards, the fact that they shot it at night and then he worked during the day, uh, that he didn't know what he was doing. And then he goes off and does the tour and they're like, you know, one of some critic writes something about it looking like surveillance cameras. He's like, yeah, <laughs> that's what we were going for. It was just all that. It just, I was like, okay, I'm in. And, <laughs> and, the, and one of the great things about Kevin Smith and one of the things that made me just absolutely fall in love with his work is that he embraced DVD commentary in a way that few other directors did. So essentially a, podcasting. Yeah. And, and, when he did the clerk's commentary, the clerk's commentary is just some of the most incredibly charming stuff ever. Then you back that up with mall rats and you're getting the story, the ridiculous story about mall rats that goes with it. Uh, the whole 20 minute opening that he shot and didn't use and uh, the debacle of working with MTV and all that stuff is really, it's fascinating. And his just raw honesty about the whole thing, just, just being completely open it, it just it it's he's a, such a human filmmaker. He's oh yeah, just such a he's not he's not a, a, a movie star. He's not he's just so plain spoken with you, and he's just he just sounds like you're talking. Your buddy's telling you a story about it, this thing he did. <laughs> well, even like the chasing Amy commentary, 
he did it for the laser disc and in during the commentary it says fuck dvd <laughs> so he has to come out specifically for the audio commentary he has to come out and be like so during the audio commentary i say fuck dvd i love dvd <laughs> and it, it, but he doesn't you but know he, he's in a, he's in there with, and he's got affleck there and he humanizes him and he and you know he makes him it is amazing a regular guy and it's just it's because of those commentaries ben affleck can do no wrong i mean the dogma commentary as soon as ben affleck is a string all right now the movie gets good <laughs> and i listened to those commentaries almost as much as i watched the movie yeah and it was just i don't know it, it was just fantastic and it that's really what brought me in was the commentaries. That, there was a time when I could quote the commentaries as much as the movie. <laughs> we have kind of been quoting the commentaries <laughs> a little bit. But, uh, but Mallrats, for a lot of our, my generation at least, is really the movie that kind of made him who he is. You know, it appeared to be a failure at the time, but that found life and then some on DVD and Laserdisc. Yeah. Uh, what was your experience with Mallrats? Were you into it as instantly, or did you? I have was to excited, you? yeah, because I because I had the Clerks experience behind me, and so I'm waiting for the next thing. And uh, they they started promoting Mallrats on MTV, and Jay and Silent Bob are appearing on TRL or whatever it was at the time, and uh, yeah, they're popping up and and uh, all over the place on MTV, and and it looked hilarious, and then it came out and like it, it failed almost immediately, and, and I was. I was bummed for him because I went and saw it immediately and, and, and loved it. I loved it. I loved every bit of it. But I, I, Jason Lee is such a perfect actor for this movie. He he changes what what could be a very typical teen comedy into something so completely different. He his energy opposites like you, if you flip those roles, if you put Jason London in the lead role, it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, but but Brody has such a unique energy to him. It makes the movie entirely different, and that's really the the key to making that mainstream comedy work is that energy that he brings to it, because he's that Kevin Smith character that stands apart from these other characters who could be kind of typical. Like even Jay and Silent Bob almost becomes like Scooby Doo characters throughout Mallrats, you know. Well, the main characters that you remember, Randall, Dante, uh, Brody, those are real life people. You right. know, Walt Flanagan's Brody. Brian Johnson's Randall, Kevin's Dante, and those—that's why those characters stick out. Just while they keep reappearing, Holden McNeil's Kevin Smith. Uh, He's probably a little bit of the other one too. It's yeah, it's so neat. And then you throw in the fact that you kind of had like a trilogy of slacker movies in that time with like Days and Confused, Empire Records, and Mallrats. Yeah, that not related at all, but somehow. Uh, kind of get lumped together. A lot of the same cast between the three movies. Uh, I, yeah, I, I've, I am least familiar with Mallrats. I've seen that the least, just because I, I missed it again when it came out. But my brother, that was what he dragged, brought him in. Well, the funny thing is, you could not really the the opening twenty minutes. Have you seen the I've 20, seen it, yeah. <laughs> You couldn't release that today. No, <laughs> you couldn't release it then. Actually, <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and because it was a failure, I mean, it was just like, oh, now everything's done. Uh, they went and made Chasing Amy for $800,000. Ben Affleck lived in Kevin Smith's house, uh, our apartment. 
they all lived in his apartment, I think. Joey Lawrence, all, the whole cast did, sleeping on the floor, uh, and arguably made the best movie of his career. Yeah. Uh, it, it just it gets at your heart right away, this movie. And, and uh, everybody's got a, a story kind of like this. And, uh, and yet, it's so, it is so its own as well. This movie got a bad rap right away. Uh, this was people, and and I'm guilty of it too. I think a lot of people, you know, when you're talking about analyzing a movie for its larger means or larger meanings or themes, you you get into a thing where you can assign something to a movie that doesn't deserve it. The idea that he was making a commentary about all lesbians or uh, is it, just ludicrous. It, it, he was talking about this character in this moment and this person, and Joey Lauren Adams is such a singular character and this is such a singular performance that she makes it a very real human being and not not representative of all gay people she is her this she is a she's this character you know she's and and it, it sucks that people kind of tried to label this movie that way because that's right. not what this movie is no and it's i mean it just i think any guy really and anybody it's not just any guy there's a point in your life where you start you know you grow up with your values and what you believe and then you come into this crossroad where a friend or it could be any situation where you're just like well i don't know if i agree with this or i don't know how i feel about that and then you have that struggle of opening your mind or not opening your mind and this is really a movie about opening your mind and not judging people and you know it I don't know that this, along with Dogma, are probably two singularly responsible for, you know, kind of helping me, you know, not be the. I mean, I wasn't ever a Jesus freak, but I definitely I grew up Catholic, so right. there was part of me that, you know, didn't want to listen to heavy metal, believe it or not, uh, and it was against all that stuff. And this is, you know, I had a girlfriend, I had a boyfriend before me, so it was just something different. You know, I'm, now you have to. Oh, she's been touched. You know, stuff that you have <laughs> right. to. And this movie really does a great job of having making this character, Holden McNeil, go through his journey, and then you and he's wrong the whole time. Yeah, even into the end, and it's so real, and it's just kind of like okay. And then you can look back at it and go, okay, I know. You know, it, it right. really helps you open your mind and. You, even in future movies where he pops in, you know they they do a good job of sequeling it in other movies. Uh, but I really love this movie. I just I don't watch it as much as I should. There's a there's a fearlessness to Affleck's performance, and that that it feel it feels so raw and so real. The the, the ways in which his his uh, mind is flying all over the place, and the the decisions that he makes are so of the moment, and uh, yeah, just. Egotistical mm-hmm. and and ugly at times, rude, and thoughtless. And we've all done it. Yeah, we've all done but, it. But but also extraordinarily human and able mm-hmm. to under, understand it. You know, you can see why he went to where he went. And he's not he's not evil. He's just wrong. <laughs> but it's also easy for that that slacker crowd who got into the days confused empire records Mallrats that would watch that and go, well, I no one would ever say that or act like that bullshit. We all have, you know, how many times have you said something you regretted saying, oh, and, yeah. but everybody's done that. So I had this, it really is a perfect movie. And I mean, Tarantino called it the best movie of that year. Huh. And I think that's where they're, I mean, obviously they clerks and Pulp Fiction kind of came out at the same time. Right. So they, but 
Yeah, that was. I, I just think it's that, that's what brought Chris Rock into the USQ family. Was he thought chasing it? He said Annie Hall was the romantic comedy that everyone would be copied until Chasing Amy, and then you know it was the first original romantic comedy since Annie Hall. And and don't forget that Chasing Amy is extremely funny. Yeah, <laughs> like it is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> that scene, I mean, the, the, the scene where they're in the bar comparing their sex scars is just oh, the job. just so funny, over-the-top, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, he's got the story on the commentary track where people walk up to him and goes, oh, the Lethal Weapon 3 scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But then you get the secondary characters too. There's so much depth in those wonderful secondary characters. And I'm sorry, I remember I've misremembered the guy's name. He plays the gay character yeah. in the movie, and uh, the other gay character in the movie. Uh, but the, the, that story, that that, uh, that scene of the Comic Con early oh, on right. is so funny. <laughs> he pulls out the gun and yells, "Black Rage! I lost it! I lost it! It's so great!" I still don't Black get the Rage. Joke. I still don't get the joke. What's an Ubi? You almost made me laugh. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's even the stuff that doesn't age well. You know, you still you can place it in that time and understand characters like the Jason Lee character because I we all knew those guys back then, and uh, so it still it still works. I don't know. It it really is a great movie. If you haven't seen Chasing Amy, go see it. Uh, dogma being a former Catholic this is why this movie is so perfect for me it's not offensive whatsoever even though Catholics seem to think it is Uh, but he manages to walk that line of I believe there is a God uh, and still make a funny movie that makes you think irreverent uh, but hilarious uh, challenging but, uh, but thoughtful and caring uh, critical, but also you know loving. Uh, <laughs> Buddy Christ is such an icon. I just I love Buddy Christ. George Carlin and Chris Rock. <laughs> George Carlin, Chris Rock, and Jason Mewes carry and Alec Rick, Alan Rickman. Yeah, are they make this movie? And then giving Jay an emotional arc in this movie was uh, you know that was a, that was a choice. It's the first time Jay was really was a star yeah. of the movie, and then I mean really. I was gonna say those four, but then Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, you know, their stuff's amazing, and it, it's the conflict between the two of them becomes so real, and that, and and as funny as they are, and and seemingly funny, that when it gets dramatic at the end, when they're confronting each other, it's emotional, and you buy into it, and that look on Affleck's face at the end when he decides to kill his friend is just, it's power. That is a, that's a, there's a power to that. The, the the eyes are wet. You know he's ah uh, yeah. He's acted the hell out of that. Yeah, I, it's that's I love that movie. And then you throw on the commentary track again, and <laughs> while they're filming that, they're winning the Oscar for best writers, and Kevin Smith's telling them not to ad lib. <laughs> <laughs> so it was. I don't know. It's a. It's a it, I I. There are a few bigger laughs than the just Matt Damon doing Run DMC. <laughs> that's great. That's great. That was so good. Well, even Chris Rock joining Jane Silent Bob on the trip is, yeah. I don't know, that every, it's just, I don't know, the, Alan Rickman. The dignity of Alan Rickman, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, he's the per. It's perfectly cast. Yeah, even Linda uh, Fiorentino, who people kind of criticize a little bit more than everybody else. And I think they criticize her because in the commentary track, Kevin yeah. Smith said she was difficult to work with, but she is the lead of this movie. Right. And you bring all these actors in and she, out. She is a little bit out of place just because she doesn't seem to be on everybody else's wavelength. But I think that's the, right. the outsider status that she was carrying coming in. And she didn't get to go home, but right. Matt Ben Affleck can come in for five days and go home. And yeah. she wasn't allowed to do that. And I think they had issues. Uh, but regardless, it was, I really love this movie. And then it goes right into Jane song, Bob strike back. Not really a movie. It's, <laughs> it's, probably the biggest cult movie of all time you have to know these other four movies to truly get this movie right but it just works everybody's in it yes yeah, so jay and silent bob in this movie uh universe uh they they've got a comic book that was based off of them that was written by holden and banky from chasing amy and uh it's now being made into a movie and they are going to hollywood to try and stop it from being made <laughs> and it's just it's I mean, you really have to see the other movies to get everything. There's a lot of inside jokes from the previous movies. There's a lot of inside Hollywood well, stuff. Jason Lee popping up as two different characters. and <laughs> Even Ben Affleck <laughs> as two different characters. Uh, he frosts his tips and <laughs> to be different. <laughs> J- Jason Lee puts a hat on. It's, yeah. it's, and a beard. <laughs> and a beard. But I can, you can see why people would be confused. But it just, it's so quotable. Probably the most quotable movie he has. Uh, just a ton of fun, and I can watch this movie every day for the rest of my life and be happy. I watched it today. <laughs> I have, I've watched pieces of it over the last month, you know, nonstop because it's on Netflix. <laughs> uh, and then we thought he was down the VSQ universe, and he goes to Clerks 2, uh, which... While I like it, it's kind of where it starts to... You can see they start taking money away from him. That's why I started to notice. Like, Dogwin, Jane, Son, and Bob, he had real budgets. And even Mallrats, you can start to see the budget fall with Clerks, too. But it still... It didn't matter. He found a way to make it equally as funny as everything else he did. And the thing about it is, is the, the performance of Brian O'Halloran and, and uh, Anderson. They Brian and, uh, what's Anderson? I'm sorry. Yeah, Jeff Anderson. Jeff Anderson. Uh, the, their chemistry has never been has never gone away. They still they still work off of each other brilliantly, the same way they did on Clerks. Well, then you throw Rosario Dawson in there, and her, and she fits. Yeah, her energy is absolutely perfect. You know, she's like a a list sexy celebrity a sex symbol of a actress and she totally you buy that dante would she would fall for dante uh, and she pulls that off perfectly it's just and even uh the little i can't remember his name with the pillow pants and all that but he makes it fun as stupid as you could i mean i suppose that'd be the thing you could criticize but i enjoyed every second of him being in it i i even enjoy the the dance break the the musical bit (laughs) worked for me i bought in i did i enjoyed that it was it was out of place but it it worked in the you know it's completely out of context but it works and then this isn't really in the vsq verse but he kind of brings it in (laughs) zach and mary make a porno uh the scene with Justin Long, and they they brought that character back for <laughs> Dan Silent, Silent Bob reboot. Uh, oh, I forgot his name already. Randy St. Randy. <laughs> Randy. <laughs> I 
the movie that the first failure that <laughs> Seth Rogen ever had. <laughs> Again, another movie didn't do well that I don't know if it, I don't know if it ever did pick up life, but I it was released on Halloween uh-huh. the week before Role Models came out. Weird, it made choices. no sense. Yeah, uh, just kind of bullshit. I think he could have. Uh, there's no reason this wasn't another Seth Rogen hit. I don't know. I I loved it. I watched this today as well. Yeah. I had found some time and watched it today. And uh, it just, it's it's outrageous. <laughs> yeah, there's just so many wonderful little moments and side characters, and the chemistry between Elizabeth Banks and Seth Rogen is really genuinely romantic. And there's a lot of uh, wonderful history that they build without actually talking about their history. They do talk about it, but I mean, you can sense more of it between them and what they don't say than what they do say. And that's really great. That's a great piece of writing. In a lot of ways. And acting. In a lot of ways, I think this is halfway responsible for why she's such a star now. Because she's always had that small part, but now she's kind of, now she's a director. She's really kind of coming to her own. And she she really steals this movie, her and Seth Rogen's chemistry, like you said. Uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful tension to that scene where they have sex for their porno movie in front of their in front of their other friends <laughs> that scene is really it really is weirdly romantic and sexy and strange and funny all at one time there's all this energy happening in the scene when you you know, when you cut away to to uh, craig robinson and, you, and you've got tracy lawrence and jay and katie morgan and I, I really think having jay and katie morgan's over the top sex and really it adds to that you know that romanticism that is in their sex scene it, yeah. it's really and then watching him watch it at the end i mean they're just kevin smith's always been based in reality and you know he's got he's got these certain emotions he wants to that he's shooting for in every movie and I, with really without exception i think whether the movie's good or not he finds that emotion and he's at least successful getting that out uh and i we can just kind of move on to the reboot now. There are other movies, Tusk, Yoga Hosers, Jersey Girl, Cop Out. I like all of them, but uh, let's just move on to Jane Silent Bob Reboot, because I'm curious what your opinion is. Uh, Jane Silent Bob Reboot uh, curses them going to Hollywood to try and stop a reboot of Jane, of, uh, of uh, Blunt Man and Chronic. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't love this one as much as I loved everything else that he's done. There's a there's a bit of a just a, a and I get you we're all getting a little bit older so everything's kind of slowing down a little bit and this there's an element to this that is a little bit just off of his usual pace and I, when you're used, so used to the pace of Jay and Silent Bob being so quick to see it slowed down like this is a little bit not jarring but just just that slight bit off for me I laughed plenty and it's it's plenty funny enough and I would recommend it it just. <sighs> <laughs> it's it is it is complete fan service. Yeah, but he's not trying it to not be anything but. So it's I'm right. okay with I think the fan there's service. There's more to this. There's more to this than say Z- Zombieland Double Tap, where I thought they just repeated a lot of jokes from the first movie or dunked on easy targets. There's not a laziness to this. There's a lot of really fun targets in this movie of, of really. Oh yeah, and there and there is a story there. They bring in his daughter, and uh, Jay has a daughter with uh, uh, Elizabeth. What's her name? Uh, oh my god, I can't remember. Uh, from the first Boo Boo Kitty Fox, yeah. <laughs> they've got a daughter together that he didn't Shannon know about. Shannon Elizabeth. Shannon Elizabeth. Thank you. And 
Uh, so she's going to go with them to Hollywood. Uh, they they brought in some other you know elements that are that, that really do work, and I really do appreciate. But there is just something just a little bit off. Well, it's similar to the way you're describing the Scorsese thing, where there's you know you look at the de aging and you're like, well, that's I don't know, and they're old and they're not they're in their thirties. It doesn't. There's a lot of that here, not necessarily the CGI, but just like. Okay, so Chasing Amy exists in this dogma. These movies exist in this universe. What's going on uh, here? Yeah, because Kevin and, Smith plays himself and, at a certain point. And it doesn't really matter, but at the same time, it does affect the story. The story really, there is there is a story, but it's more the, you will get lost. I mean, it's just, if you really want to sit and look at that, that doesn't matter, and he doesn't care. And I'm okay with him yeah. not caring. Uh, I I do think the emotional scenes work though. I think the the Jay being a father, uh, I really bought into that. I thought him and Harley Quinn had a good chemistry, uh, and it did tug at your heartstrings a little bit. And while I missed some of the Holden McNeil stuff, I, I was still able to get the gist of it. <laughs> I, I think I, if anything, I just missed jokes. You know, I yeah. got I got the meat and potatoes of it i mean it's basically the same scene from the first movie but just re- reimagined for what today is <laughs> well that was he did the scene from the first movie with banky or uh brody uh where they but when he when no, i mean make, from jay from when jay and silent bob strike back it's the same scene from jay and silent bob strike back in this one well no in strike back he did that scene the, the scene they do with hold mcneil in James like Bob Strike Back, they do with Brody, where he's telling him to go to Hollywood, and he's like, <laughs> "What the f is? I don't even remember what, what the what he's questioned in this one." Uh, with Holden McNeil, he brought out his his daughter, and he this basically a sequel to Chasing Amy. Uh, that was, I don't know, I thought it worked, and he added that, and it wasn't in the script. Yeah, <laughs> he added that just because Ben Affleck said he could do it, and brought in Joy Lauren and Lauren Adams, and. I from what I got of, out of it, I, I enjoyed the scene, and I, I really liked the. I, I don't know. I, I really thought he did a good job of capturing that Jason Mewes is a good father, uh, and that's kind of what he was trying to go for. And I, you could see him. Granted, I was in an audience full of Kevin Smith fans, so you could see the tears and the biting of lips for that kind of stuff. I, so I, it seemed like he accomplished that pretty well. Uh, when Silent Bob talks, it's fun i guess <laughs> it's i mean it's yeah <laughs> he did come out and goes because kevin smith gave an intro to the movie he goes no i cut a scene that i'm starting to regret cutting but just i, I want to say this uh silent bob's favorite movie is glenn gary glenn ross i'm just gonna leave that out there <laughs> and uh <laughs> it may come back up it may not just <laughs> I cut that scene where we established that, so it might matter, it might not, and then enjoy the movie. And so, so Silent Bob talks a lot in this movie. <laughs> but I mean, it's similar to Tusk and Yoga Hosers and Clerk. Really, anything aside from Zack and Mary, and I guess even Cop Out, there just it seems like he's gotten less and less money, and you can really see that. Uh, and then the money he did spend, you know, Pearl Jam's in this. <laughs> they play Daughter. So that's probably not a cheap song to get. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Clerks 2 had a Smashing Pumpkins song. And so they're, the, he's putting money in places that matter. And uh, because of that, I, I don't know. I, I think a lack of money 
does affect does affect it being at the dogma Jane and Silent Bob strike back level. Yeah. I think Jersey Girl plays a lot into that too about him getting money taken away from him because there was a lot of pressure on that movie and it was not fair no. what happened to that movie at all. No, they had a, uh, similar to Mallrats for, for different reasons. They had to cut the first 20 minutes out of that <laughs> one too because they didn't want Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck on the screen together yeah. anymore. Yeah. Jersey Girl is a movie I love that it's not fair. It really that one didn't. Uh, the, that young girl is just wonderful in that film, and her chemistry with Affleck and even with George Carlin is George Carlin's beautiful. Amazing in yeah, that he movie. deserved an Academy Award nomination for that. He did. He's that good. And, and Liv Tyler noticed. and Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck kind of said, "Hey, we can do things other than Armageddon and do it well." <laughs> No, and from what we, I, I don't know if it's news or not, but he admitted I mean, Clerks 3 is happening. Uh, Clerks 3, Randall has a heart attack, decides that, like, the original Clerks 3 he wrote was really uh, bleak, uh-huh. and he's been doing readings of that. He, he's rewritten it completely. Randall has a heart attack and decides to make Clerks. So... <laughs> 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 So, I mean, he really doesn't give a shit anymore. So, but Jeff in, Anderson's going to do it? The reason that Jeff didn't do it, the, he told, did a Q&A and he told right. us why. The reason was because when Kevin makes movies, he's working with Hollywood people that want to make movies with him. So, they don't even think about money. Well, they were moving forward with Clerks 3 and Jeff said, well, what are you paying me? No, no offense, but I don't. I don't have the. I don't ha- can't go to another movie and get paid a lot of money. And I have a day job. I can't just quit that and go do this movie. Right. You got to make it worth my while, and that's where it fell apart. And it wasn't Jeff Anderson's fault. It wasn't him being a no. dick about it. It was you know he really went in out of it and it just something he never thought of because he was always moving forward. So that's why Clerk Street didn't happen. But they met at a con recently, and he rewrote it. And basically, he goes. The snake's really eating its tail now. <laughs> but on top of that, Mallrats 2 is now happening. Uh, Universal is so happy with Jane and Bob reboot that they've greenlit Mallrats 2. Wow. So, yeah. Clerks 3, <laughs> Mallrats 2, which then pushes Moose Jaws. That was one of the questions. What happened? What's going on with Moose Jaws? That's uh, it, now further down the line. He's hoping when Harley and Johnny Depp's daughter uh, turn about 25, 26, they can do Moose Jaws then, which then to finish his Canadian trilogy. <laughs> He's just having fun, and you definitely can see that in, his, in this movie. And really, the last few movies, you can tell the fun's there. And he's great at capturing that. So I don't know. I, I'd recommend it to a Kevin Smith fan. Yeah. But that's really all I would recommend is movies. I, I enjoyed it enough in the moment. I uh, I don't really. It's been a couple of weeks now, and I don't really. I'm not holding on to the memory of it very well. I feel like I'll go back when it hits a streaming service because there are funny things in it. I, yeah. I thought Chris Hemsworth was funny. I know he's done that character a lot, but in this movie, it works better. <laughs> and I don't know. I feel like the more we talk about it, the more things that didn't necessarily work the first time, it seems funny again. Uh, so I, I'm i sure I'll watch it again. I'm just I'm a Kevin Smith fan, so uh, it was cool to see him in Iowa City and not at the premiere of The Irishman. <laughs> Anything else before we wrap it up for this week? Uh, no, not really. Uh, not looking forward to Terminator. That's about it. Yeah, next week, uh, Terminator comes out. Why? Uh, we don't know, but... 
<laughs> Zach, hopefully, Cove Mega will be back joining us. I think that's the plan. Yes. Uh, uh, so, you have that to look forward to, and that'll be more of a typical episode. Uh, we may or may not, depending on what Sean sees, bring up some other movies. We will talk about Dolomite. Dolomite. We'll talk about Terminator. Uh, depending on how uh, Trainwreck, Arctic Dogs is. We'll talk about that. Current War, Harriet, Motherless Brooklyn, all movies that we may or may not talk about, depending on how much they matter. And then there's a whole shit ton of 89 movies that, between the two weeks that we haven't seen. Uh, I don't think many of them are big successes, so we'll see. I don't have those in front of me. And we'll have to add the classic, uh, I think uh, Zach's going to pick it for us. Uh, he hasn't yet, has he? No, I, okay. I got to talk to him about that. So we'll we'll get that on social media. So look for check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages to see what movies we'll be talking about this week. And uh, then I hate critics. Then at slash Patreon to be a Patreon supporter. Uh, anything else before we end the show? Uh, there were no eighty nine movies this week, so right. So. Uh, you want to do flick chart or you want to get out of here? It's getting late. It's up to you. Yeah, I I don't care. I got nothing to do. <laughs> All right. Let me see if my internet's working. <laughs> Chart.com. Sign in. The Amazing Spider-Man 2012 Reign of Fire. Um, Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, I'll go with I even that. hate it. You know, from dusk till dawn, Star Trek Generations. Boy, I, I don't really like either of those movies either. Uh, Generations. Uh, I'll go from dusk till dawn just for the Tarantino connection. <laughs> you, my best friend, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> you should have asked you one to be on the podcast. <laughs> Insomnia. The Passion of the Christ. Oh, Insomnia. It's a really good movie. Yeah. One Hour Photo, The Breakup. One Hour Photo. Agreed. Nine. Scream 3. Ooh. Nine, I guess, because Scream 3 is terrible. Yeah. Nine is the animated movie, right? Yeah. Right. Kung Fu Hustle from Hell. From Hell. I love From Hell. American Graffiti, Old School. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Because uh, I, I, I appreciate American Graffiti a lot, but if you told me I had to watch one or the other, but uh, I, would, I would choose Old School. I would, too. I think it's just due to my age. Yeah. Speaking, I mean, we never talked about it, but Todd Phillips, when he said you can't make comedies anymore, I mean... What did you think of that? Part of me hates the fact that something somebody says in an interview just turns into a headline. <laughs> but, I mean, we never really addressed it. You're, did you really care one way or the other? Uh, you know, I, I, I take the Dave Anthony approach to this type of thing. I think it's whining. I think Dave Anthony was basically saying that he can do comedy right now and he's just fine. <laughs> it's not an issue. Whereas other guys are whining about the things they can't say. And that, what I don't think, like Mark Marin did a good, he said, just if you're not punching down, you can do whatever you want. You can still be edgy. It's the punching down that's an issue. Yeah. And, and, when, and when you go after trans people or, you know, gay people or, 
you're punching down. You are. Those are people who are trying to rise up and pull themselves up out of horrendous things that have been done to them for years. And when you're throwing punches their direction, you're the problem. Right. And I I don't think his I, I think his movies hold up just fine. Like I watched old or I watched Hangover fairly recently and there's that scene where Bradley Cooper yells out Doctor F word. To me that's not punching on it gay people. That's making fun of the character that's saying how it's a poor it's showing you the character of that guy bradley cooper's character and those things can still happen if you really if that means that much to you or you could just pick a different word it doesn't really you know yeah i think you're gonna see you're just seeing people being more careful when they say stuff you know it's like i don't want to be i don't want to be a dick you can be funny without being a dick and that's really all it is, and I just think you say something in passing in an interview and it turns into a headline, that's not fair either. Uh, the Wolf of Wall Street, Mars Attacks. Oh, kill me. Oh, God, I guess I hate Mars Attacks enough that even Wolf of Wall Street, is just a movie I don't like, I think it's a better made movie. Yeah, the problem I have with Wolf of Wall Street is that it's so well made. <laughs> well, it's so... Everything he did was perfect. Yeah. It just he pissed me off. Yeah, and he wasn't trying to. He was in, really in, giving that guy a shot. And that- in professional wrestling parlance, it's called go away heat. You know, there's heat that's you know where you're getting the audience angry with you in a way that you're supposed to, and then there's go away heat where people are just fed up with how how bad you are at what you're doing. Yeah, like Scorsese has always been good at you know giving every character a fair chance. This but is not a character I, I who deserved that fair chance. No. And he, you know, Henry Hill had to change his name. You know, there's things that he didn't necessarily deserve it either, but they'd somehow something happened there that it worked. We'll talk about that in 1990 <laughs> or in next year. But with this one, he's the guy's successful still. He should Ugh. be in jail for the rest of his yeah, life, as far as absolutely. I'm concerned. The Good Lie 2014. I have no idea what that is. Minority Report. Minority Report. I just assume so. <laughs> Movie I need to see again. Wow. Journey to the Mysterious Island. Swordfish. <laughs> this is where we can... Movie I don't remember versus movie I remember for the wrong reason. <laughs> Swordfish. <laughs> I agree. Little Shop of Horrors, Bowfinger. Bowfinger. Yep. Let's see here. Saving your choice. Every now and then it slows down on me. Yeah. Our favorite still is almost famous on this, even though Pulp Fiction is our group, our favorite. Yeah. Uh, Blue Thunder Major League. I don't know what Blue Thunder is, 1983. Oh, it's the helicopter movie with Rick oh. Scheider. Still major league, though. Yeah. Zombie land behind enemy lines. Zombie land. Agreed. Superman 1978, Maverick 1994. Maverick. Yeah. I like Mel Gibson, sorry. I, I retroactively come to, to dislike the Superman movies. Not Chris Reeves so much, but... Just the movies themselves are rather, they're much more silly now. 
Yeah, and then you throw in all the behind the scenes stuff, the whole Marlon Brando garbage, and yeah. you know, like how it worked for Kevin Smith movies. <laughs> it, it really tears apart Richard Donner. There's a, there's a there's a series on YouTube, Movie Nights, and a critic named Allison Pregler. She's much younger than us, and she did a, she did a series of Superman reviews. And when you went, listen to her, somebody who has no loyalty to this Superman series whatsoever, no nostalgia about it, she takes it apart in a way that makes you feel silly for liking it. <laughs> Octopussy, Unbreakable. Unbreakable. Yep. The Parent Trap, 1998, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Dogma, Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, 2000. (laughs) Rosemary's Baby, Any Given Sunday. Rosemary's Baby. Agreed. Wanda, Nevada. Never heard of it. Peter Fonda. And looks interesting. That's the classic next week. Uh, <laughs> Number one with a bullet. You know that one? No. Huh. Caddyshack, Crocodile Dundee. Caddyshack. Agree. The Shawshank Redemption from Russia with Love. Mm, Shawshank, I guess. I mean, there's yeah. nothing wrong with Shawshank. I just yeah. think people need to shut yeah. up about it. <laughs> the fan. I hate the Shawshank fans more than I hate the movie. <laughs> I'm kidding, Shawshank fans. I'm not. It's Nothing <laughs> Nothing is more middle of the road than the Shawshank Redemption. Ew, it's so true. It's country music. Right. It's you too. <laughs> 101 Dalmatians, The Fox and the Hound. Uh, Fox and the Hound. Hollywood ending Rocky three. <laughs> I don't know Hollywood ending. Oh, uh, it's Woody Allen. Oh, uh, so, yeah, I, I like that movie. I'm just flip for it. Nah, it's not fair. <laughs> I can't do that. We'll, we'll refresh it. Yeah. Evil Dead Two: The Matrix. Evil Dead Two. Easy choice for me. Waitress, obviously, or Face Off. <laughs> Waitress. <laughs> Thirteen going on thirty. The Crow. Ooh, both very good movies. Uh, I really love Thirteen going on thirty, but I got to pick The Crow. I think it's a better overall like artistic effort. Whereas 30, Thirteen going on thirty is just a lot of fun. Yeah, I'll go with that. Scorpion King, The Incredibles. Incredibles. The Cassandra Crossing, nineteen seventy-seven. Never heard of it. Stars and Bars, 1988. Never heard of it. Oh, Flick Shirt's really having fun with us today. <laughs> Clash of the Titans, 1981, or Beethoven, 1992. <laughs> uh, Clash of the Titans. For the title alone. Just because it's so silly. National Security, Broken Arrow. <laughs> Broken Arrow, because it's so silly. <laughs> Curious case of Benjamin Button, 28 Days Later. 28 Days Later. Yeah. I don't think Benjamin Button's a bad movie at all. I'm just never going to watch it. It's kind of like Silence. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to watch it. I think Fincher's the best there is, but I, it's just not for me. Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life, Reign of Fire. Reign of Fire. 
Sure, why not? Death proof free willy. Death proof. Boogie Nights Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> it's Boogie Nights by a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can you can call me politically correct all you want. That was racist then. It's racist now. It's just as racist then as it was as it is now. Hellboy Two: The Golden Army, Brokeback Mountain. Uh, it's Brokeback Mountain for me. Yeah, I haven't seen. Hellboy Honestly, II, but you know, I'm making. I'm going to make it my mission in life to make the Breakfast at Tiffany's fans feel bad. That's my goal now. You guys should feel bad for liking that. <laughs> <laughs> See, I try not to do that. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand why. I understand you would. maybe why you liked it in 1962, but holding on to it now, nope. <laughs> I just like to point it out and just like do with this what you want. If you just want to ignore it, okay. But here. <laughs> <laughs> I, outside of like the jazz singer, I'm not sure I've seen anything that racist in a movie. <laughs> Chasing Amy, Enter the Dragon. Chasing Amy. I didn't need to think about that. Yeah. Black Klansman, How to Train Your Dragon. Black Klansman. Master Commander to Die For. Huh. That's interesting. It's to die for for me. I, yeah, yeah. I love Master and Commander, though. I like it. I'm just it. not a big fan of those kinds of movies. No, and I the, the rewatch, not that I go and watch it for every other day either, but I just, I'll never watch Master Commander again. <laughs> Avengers, Age of Ultron, End of Days. Avengers. Sure. Wasn't really a fan of either. The Hurt Locker, In the Line of Fire. Hurt Locker. Yeah. The Golden Compass, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. <laughs> uh, Josh's choice. 